get started here today. I want to say welcome to you all today. Thanks for being with us. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, why don't you go ahead and grab a Bible? If you're, um, or if you're new or if you're not new, grab, grab a Bible. Um, that was everyone, if you have one. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can just scroll to Exodus chapter 20. We are in the last, uh, last week in a series on the Ten Commandments. And we've been working our way through Exodus and decided to just kind of hang out in these Ten Commandments so, because they're so foundational for God's people. And so we're in the last week of that. And then after today, we'll finish up the book of Exodus in the next few weeks before next fall. So Exodus 20, starting in verse 17, is what we're going to be looking at today. It's the last of the Ten Commandments. But before we dive in, I just want to say a brief word. I know some of you are still hurting over the letter that you received in reference to Scott's resignation and the words that we shared last week. And as elders, we just want you to know that we're here to talk to you. We're here to listen to you. We're here to um, seek to answer any questions as we can appropriately, and just know well the emotional, I know well the emotional turmoil that a lot of you feel. And so I um, just want to say, please come talk to us if you need to. And we're here for you as pastors, okay? So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. We thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you that we are not alone without a word from the God of the universe, creator, savior of all, Lord, but that we can come underneath your word as a blessing to us today. And so may we receive it that way. May we receive it that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So the 10th of the 10 commandments is found in Exodus 20, verse 17. Check it out there. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. So you'll see there, it says not covet once, says it twice. For us to understand this commandment, we have to understand what that word means. What does it mean to covet? Well, if you go back to the Hebrew word, I did some research this week, and and the, the Hebrew word, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, And the Hebrew word covet could best be understood as to desire earnestly, to long after something. Another word that we use in English very often is the word to crave something, to crave something. Now, what does that mean, to crave something? Now, I know uh, a lot of you women are either currently pregnant or are recently had a baby, or maybe some women in the room have not so recently had a baby. But what I've been told by my wife and experience with her is that when you're pregnant, you have some pretty intense, sometimes irrational cravings, right? Like uh, this urge, this strong desire, this maybe uh, raging demand for certain food right now, right? Right? That's right. Veronique, what was it for you? You got one? Can you share with us? Pickles? Chocolate-covered pickles? No. For, for Kim, it was uh, Taco Bell. Like, mommy needs a chalupa. Like, right now. Right? 
Anybody else want to share? Raging Crave? Anybody? Chocolate cake? All right. Anybody else? Steak and eggs. That's good. That's good. That's good. My wife also just said uh, marshmallows. I don't remember that. But in the microwave, right? Yeah, heat them up in the microwave. That's the spot. So cravings, we, that, that helps us understand uh, what coveting could be like. It's like, I got to have it right now. If I don't have this, we're going to have a problem, right? And, and that's what it helps us understand coveting. To, to desire earnestly, that the Hebrew definition uh, in English would, might be to desire earnestly, to long for. And, and notice this, when we crave something, it's not that what we crave is necessarily bad, right? But it's the passion, it's the strength of the desire, it's the immediacy of the desire, it's the maybe sometimes demanding nature of the desire. I got to have it right now. That can be at the heart of coveting. That's what the Bible teaches us to be on guard against. That's what God's word says in this 10th commandment. Man, be careful, be careful, don't go there. It's going to harm you. It's not going to bring glory to me. It's not going to bring joy or satisfaction to you. Be careful. This is for your blessing. Don't go there. This is what one commentary I read this week says. It says, to covet is to desire, in, there's another way to say it, desire inordinately. To have my desires all out of order. To place the object of desire before love and devotion for God. What does that mean? That means idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says, we're not going to look at it this morning. You'll look at it this week in your city groups. Colossians 3.5 says, covetousness is idolatry. And that's what this definition says. This is confirmed in the New Testament when the word that is translated covet literally means the inordinate desire to have more. So think about it like this. This was helpful for me as in, when I was preparing this week. The opposite of covetousness is contentment. The opposite of covetousness is contentment, being content. You feel that? So covetousness is, I got to have this thing. I need this thing. If I can't have this thing, I'm never going to be happy. What is contentment then? Contentment is, what I have is enough. What I have is enough. And I believe that God is my provider. So I can be content. I can relax. I don't have to demand things because God is my provider. He promises to provide, and what I have from him is enough. So we got covetousness and contentment, and these two desires are warring in all of us. That's just part of what it means to be human. We're tempted to go towards covetousness, and contentment calls out to us and says, there's more blessing here, there's more blessing here. And and the first step is just acknowledge that I've got these warring kind of factions, covetousness, contentment, in me. I gotta acknowledge it. I gotta be honest about it. I gotta see it. Let's think about this further in terms of our culture. We gotta know what we're up against and hopefully be sobered by that so that can help us be tuned in to this fight that we have for the sake of holiness. Let's think about our culture in reference to covetousness. In one sense, our whole economy is predicated on us coveting. You ever thought about that? We have a whole culture of advertising. You know, money makes the world go round, right? That's, that's the catchphrase. And advertising, marketing feeds that. 
So you turn on the TV, you turn on the internet. It's so normal. I don't even think we even notice it anymore. But we're constantly bombarded with messages that says, man, you shouldn't be content because you got to have this. How could you be content? Look at this. Look at how awesome this is. Believe it. Believe it. Go get it. Go get it. Don't be content. Right? So I want you to like, in your fight for faith, in your fight for contentment, in your battle against covetousness, we got to be a little defensive. We got to be on the defense when those messages come in that are so normal we don't even realize what they're doing to our brains. Right? We can't be passively received because those this culture that we live in is preaching to us. And the question is, do I have a counter sermon that's saturated with God's word that can nullify this false sermon of you got to have more or you won't be happy. You better covet this, you better covet this and go get it as soon as possible because contentment is not possible. You need to get this to be happy. If you, if you drink the right beer, then you'll get the girl. Right? Isn't that how crazy our advertising is? But that's linked. We link sex with the consumption of beer. So I'm coveting more sex, so I'm going to drink some more beer. Like, how does that work? Or, I mean, you can think of a thousand examples. If I just take the right pills, then I will be healthy. Or if I just, you know, buy the Whatever, the Bowflex, right? Then I'll get ripped and have the body I've always wanted, right? It's a culture of consumerism, and it preys on our contentment. And if you're discontent, you're just a sliver away from coveting and worshiping something in the place of God. Colossians 3.5, covetousness is idolatry. So here's the problem. Here's what's at stake today that we're going to see in God's word as we, as we unpack this some more. In the absence of battling contentment, I'm sorry, in the absence of battling for contentment, it's so easy for our out-of-control covetous desires to ruin us and our relationships. Let me say that again. It's so easy for our out-of-control covetous desires to ruin us and our relationships. Now, before we unpack that biblically, let's take a step back and make something really clear. It's easy for our out-of-control covetous desires to ruin us if they're the wrong desires. Let's say something really clear. Desire in and of itself is not bad. So if I have a desire to glorify God with my life, that's not probably ever going to be out of control for the sake of my ruin. That's not going to happen because that's God's will. That's a really, really good thing. So that desire is great. If my desire is to lay down my life for my wife and for my family and serve them, like that's a great desire. That desire is not bad. You should stir up that desire. If your desire is to be generous with your time and your money and your possessions, like that's God's heart. Our God is a generous God. He gives of his very, of his very self. And so we reflect that in following him. And if we do that, man, that's a really, really good thing. That desire to be generous is really, really good. So notice that the commandment does not say desire is bad. Squash all desire. No, it's just that you got to have the right desires. You got to covet the right things. It's the, the strength, though, of our desires 
that can ruin us. So what does it say? It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So I'm sure a lot of you this morning aren't really wrestling with coveting your neighbor's donkey. I don't know about y'all. Or their ox or something, right? I don't struggle with that. But what's going on here? What's going on here is what God asks us is to look at, look at what, what, how could we sum this up? It's somebody's possessions or somebody's relationships. It's somebody's possessions or somebody's rela- relationships. It's wrong to have deep longings, cravings, inordinate desires for someone else's stuff or someone else's relationships. And if you have an eye to the possessions and relationships of others and reflect on the fact that you don't have what they have and that stirs in you negative emotions, there's danger there. There's big danger there. And God just says, I want to prevent you from that danger. You don't have to go there. Blessing is over here. But if, if you walk in, 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 in um, not in accordance with this 10th commandment, it's going to not glorify me. It's going to bring you great suffering. And you don't want either of those things. Here's a question to reflect on right now that is helpful for me. I think it might be helpful for you. Do you find yourself asking this? Maybe it's just a a quick thought that passes through your brain. Maybe it never comes out your mouth. But maybe the thought is this. How come they get to have what I don't? How come they get to have what I don't? Where do you find yourself asking that question? Or maybe just a form of that question. Where do you meditate on that? How come they have a spouse and I don't? How come they have kids and I don't? How come they get to go on all these vacations and I only get a week or two of vacation? How come they get all this attention and I don't? How come they have so many friends and I only have one friend? But notice, this is what's so tricky about coveting or envy or jealousy. All of those questions could simply just be internal. Silent and unknown. It's just in your brain. No one's going to see it. Well, eventually they might, and we'll talk about that in a second. But in the short term, no one's going to see it. All those how come statements that I just rattled off could be completely internal and never come out your mouth and, and no one would ever know that you're rotting on the inside. See, some of these other commandments we talked about, murder, stealing, adultery, super external, right? Like those have to be external or they don't really exist in some sense. But covetousness, for the most part, is all internal. It's about the desires that float through our, our brains that no one's going to see. And the Bible says there's ma- massive danger here. If we allow these silent yet raging desires to take over, the consequences biblically are quite dark. Let me show this to you. I want to convince you of this. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. It's in the back of, your, of the New Testament, right after the book of—I'm sorry, I said, I said Hebrews. It's not Hebrews. It's James. James is right after the book of Hebrews. So if you found Hebrews, just flip over to the book of James. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James 3, 13. And and the point I want you to see here is that covetousness is so often so internal, 
But the Bible is going to teach us this morning, it doesn't stay internal. It never stays internal. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have, here it is, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So often coveting is all about me, right? It's all about me. I don't have this. I need this. I want this. I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about me. It's selfish. It's, I have an ambition for me, right? So if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So this is not of the Lord. This is not from heaven. What is it? But is earthly. Feel the contrast there? It's earthly. It's unspiritual. There's another contrast. God is spirit. And here's the heavy one. Demonic. You ever thought about jealousy or envy or coveting as demonic? That's intense. And it gets more intense. For where envy, jealousy, coveting exists and, and a, a desire to just elevate myself, selfish ambition, I'm only ambitious for myself. If that's existing, verse 16, look at it. There will be, it's a promise, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Wow. Like James is not pulling punches here, is he? That, that's God's word. That's heavy. Have you, ever, have you ever read this text? That's a stern warning. It's a warning for our blessing, but a warning nonetheless. Have you ever considered the massive destructive language that the Bible associates with jealousy, envy, coveting? See, there's, there's an if-then relationship here in the text. Do you see it? There's that logical connection. If this, then this. Verse 14 is the if. If there is bitter jealousy or, or selfish ambition— then 15 and 16 is going to happen. Then what's going to happen is your community is going to be earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wow. Why would he say demonic? Well, my hunch is it, it comes from, from Genesis chapter 3. Again, we've talked about this a lot because Satan hates God's word for his people. God, uh, Satan hates what God has said to lovingly instruct his people on how to have a beautiful life. And so what did he do from day one? He comes to Adam and Eve and he says, God told you not to have that, but you know what? You should want it. You should covet what God says that you shouldn't have. And that's what, that's, that's always Satan's agenda. That's always demon's agenda. Whatever God said, we're just going to turn that on its head. So you should covet what God says you shouldn't have. It's demonic. And what happens then? You got disorder in every vile practice. Verse 16, see it? Where, where jealousy or envy or coveting. I got to have this right now. If I don't have this, I'm not going to be happy. What's going to happen? There will be disorder in every vile practice. But wait a second. How come... How is it that some seemingly harmless thoughts that pass through my brain about things that I want to have that I don't have could produce demonic chaos in the church? That's what that's James writing. He's writing to the church. Do 
If these jealous, envious, covetous thoughts are not fought against, it will bring chaos in our relationships. That's what it says. Well, James explains this. Just go down a couple more verses to chapter 4. And he continues to make the case here. There's some, there's some linking ideas here. Verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what it says. Continuing the same line of thought. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's a good question. You want to know why we have tension in relationships? You know why you have conflict in relationships? James is about to tell you. Is it not this, that your passions, again, that's another way of saying inordinate desires, raging desires, demanding, I got to have this now, desires. That's what he has in view here. Are at war within you. You got all this stuff just like swirling around. You desire and do not have. So, so what happens? I got all these desires and I don't get what I think I want. So what happens? Well, I murder. And we've seen Jesus talks about murder as not just a physical murder. It could be verbal murder. You covet. There's our word. You covet and you cannot obtain. So I want it and I don't have it. What happens then? So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive. Like, why don't, I, why don't I have this stuff, God? Well, here's why. Because you ask wrongly. You're not asking with the right motives. You're asking just to spend it on your inordinate desires. You just want to assuage this desire for these things that aren't necessarily godly. And so what's the point here? One of the points you can see is that these things that pass through our brains, they eventually come out of our mouths. And when those things come out of our mouths, it causes conflict. It causes chaos. So anytime you, you, you're wondering, anytime you get angry, it's always good to stop and wonder, why am I angry? And almost always, according to James 4, what you'll find is there's something that I want, there's something that I'm coveting that I'm not getting. And I get angry. Why am I angry? Well, the question is, what do I want that I'm not getting? What am I coveting that I'm not getting? Then the question becomes, why do I want it so much? Why do I want this thing so much that it's causing me to rage? That it's causing me to lash out at people? In your conflict, there's always a desire that's unmet. Almost always. What do I want that I'm not getting? What am I coveting that I'm not getting? Why do I want that so much? And how does Jesus in the gospel address what I want? We're going to get there in a second. So just be on guard. Your coveting is just one small step away from probably a fight with someone. Right? The reason why this stuff is so dangerous is because it never just stays internal. We have to take these thoughts captive and bring them to the Lord. These thoughts that we have, these covetous thoughts can become toxic and cause us to align with demons and create massive relational chaos. So heed the warning. This is not just some small thing. Our thoughts never just stay innocuous little thoughts that don't have consequences. No, we have to go to war against them. It's going to be covetousness or contentment. There's rarely ever any middle ground. We're going to lean one way or the other. 
It's not just our head. It will leak out of our head and into relationships and become toxic. That's the big warning in, in, in the Ten Commandments. That's a big warning in James chapter 3 and chapter 4. And it's also, it's important to see, like, this isn't, again, it's, it's about community. It's not just about you and the Lord. Now, some of the commandments are just between you and the Lord. But so many of the commandments have such application to our relationships for ancient Israel in the Old Testament, for the church in the New Testament, Right? It's a matter of us. It's a matter of us. And the us, in terms of the church, is the mission. If the us breaks down, the mission breaks down. So we have to go to war against coveting because that's one small slice of where God's mission can be attacked unintentionally by us. Because coveting leads to discord. Discord leads to conflict. Conflict leads to division. And if the church is divided, where's our mission? Where's Acts 1-8? Go and make disciples. Be my spirit-filled witnesses to Judea and Samaria and the surrounding areas and to the very ends of the earth. That's what's at stake here. You can draw a straight line from the 10th commandment to the great commission of the church. To wrap up, though, we got to answer one big question. How do we do this? How do we do this? Is there any ammunition for us in the fight, any arrows in the quiver in the battle against covetousness? This, our, our preaching tries to be just don't go home and do more, try harder, and just like, but no, no, no. But to have um, God's word be the sword of the Spirit so that we can actually wage war against our sin. So where's the power? Well, let me tell you. How do we do this? The opposite of coveting is contentment. So how do we stir up contentment? Well, we stir up contentment by trusting God's provision. We stir up contentment by trusting God's provision, trusting that God will provide. I don't need to lust after things that I don't have. Why? Because God will provide. So I want to close with one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible that is ground zero for us walking in holiness by faith in God's word. Romans 8.32, let's turn there. Romans 8.32 is a massive weapon for you to wage war on the sin of covetousness that brings chaos Romans 8.32, look at what it says. He who did not spare his own son. Now let me, let me back up. For eight chapters, Paul has been laying out the beauty of the gospel. He's writing to the church in Rome and he's saying, guys, you got to understand what Jesus has done, what God has done, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to, to bring about salvation for you. You've got to know this. It's, it's, and he just lays it out in eight chapters. One of the best explanations of the gospel that you'll find in the Bible. I encourage you to go home and just read it. Chapters one through eight. It's so foundational and beautiful. And then he just has this one sentence kind of summary towards the end that is meant to be um, a massive foundation for you to have hope in God for you to trust in his provision, for you to have um, steel in your spine when you're just tempted to bend over and give up. 
And he just roots it all in the truth of the gospel. Look at what it says. He, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, for us all. That's a, a statement about what has happened in history. That's the facts of history. And now comes the application. What does it say? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. So what does it say? The promise is that will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Why should I believe that, Paul? Well, because he gave you his only son. See the connection there? See the logic there? The logic of God's provision that can calm a raging, envious, covetous, jealous heart. Look at the logic. God gave us himself in the person of his son. God the Father already provided the hardest thing. That's the logic. If he did this hard thing of the Father giving the Son this mystery of a disruption in the Trinity somehow that we don't really understand, but the Bible just asserts, if he can do that hard, challenging, unbelievably unique thing, the Father giving the Son, do you think it's hard for, you, for him to give you what's best? Do you think it's hard for him to give you what you need? That's the logic of this verse. Is it hard for him to meet your needs even if you can't see how he's meeting your needs right now? Is it too hard for the God of the universe to provide for you? It's not too hard. That's the logic of this verse. He's already done the hardest thing in the universe. And he knows your needs. He knows your longings. He knows your desires. He knows where you're tempted to covet. And he says, don't give up. Maintain hope. He will graciously give you all things. Now, God's definition might, might, might not be your perfect definition, but your, your, your God, he loves you. He's your creator and your savior. He knows what you need. I mean, he did the most amazing thing in knowing that you need salvation from, from sin. He, he knows that you need salvation from separation from God forever. And he's provided in the most gracious, amazing way possible so he knows that about you. He also knows that you long for a spouse. He knows that you, that you long for an increase in your paycheck. He knows that you long for, 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 for peace in your family. He knows everything about you. And he says he's going to give you all things based on the foundation of the gospel. So look to the gospel and be reminded, my, my father knows me. My father loves me. He's not holding out on me. He's promised to provide for me. He says on the foundation of the logic of the gospel itself that he's not holding out on me and he's given me all things. It's not partial things. It's not just medium things. It's not just 90% of things. No, it's all things. That's what the Bible says. And so you want to go to war against coveting? It's right here. You want to increase contentment in your life? You want to calm the raging desires that just wreak havoc on your brain? It's right here. It's Romans 8.32. He's provided in Jesus. He'll provide everything else that you need. Let the summary of the gospel calm 
the covetous heart and bring unity and beauty to our church family. And let's, let's preach this verse to ourselves day after day after day. Some of you need to go home and just memorize this one. Like this is what you need right now. I need the logic of the gospel that connects to his provision for me so that, so that, so that I can just rest in who he is. Man, we, we need that every single morning. We need that every single day. I need to go home and, and memorize Romans 8, 32. He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? I need that. You need that. Let's do that together for the sake of God's glory and the sake of your satisfaction. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it leads us, how it guides us, and how you love us so well through it. May we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.